0: The reading is from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians.
1: Let us be attentive.
0: Brethren, working together with him, then, we entreat you not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I have listened to you and help you on the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watching hunger by purity, knowledge, forbearance, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand, and for the left in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as imposters, yet are true. As unknown and well-known, as dying, behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything.
2: Peace be to you, the reader. Alleluia,
1: alleluia, alleluia.
0: It is good to give thanks to truth by night.
1: Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Wisdom arise, let us hear the holy gospel. Peace be with you all. And with your spirit. The reading is from the gospel according According to St. Luke, let us be attentive. Glory to you, o Lord, glory to you. At that time, Jesus went to a city called Naim, and his disciples in a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the city, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and he gave him to his mother. Year seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people.
2: Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we celebrate the holy and glorious Apostle Thomas. Apostle Thomas is one of the younger apostles. He was very zealous, as we see in different little vignettes in the Gospel. And what he's perhaps most well-known for is that experience after the resurrection, where he, like the other apostles, doesn't believe Christ is resurrected. Because we recall the murdering maidens came back to the apostles. They said, it's an idle tale. We don't believe that he rose from the dead. It was only when Christ appeared to them that they believed. And so likewise with the Apostle Thomas, he said, unless I can touch him, I will not believe. But the difference with the Apostle Thomas is he actually got to touch our Lord, our resurrected Lord. If you recall Mary Magdalene, when she went to the tomb and Jesus, she thought, was the gardener, and then he revealed himself to her, he said, Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended. So, not everyone got to touch the resurrected Lord, but Thomas did. And by the power and the grace that he received in that, he was the most prolific traveler of all the apostles. He went to Ethiopia, which was a mere 2,500 miles from Jerusalem by foot. And then after that he went all the way to India 5000 miles away by foot. And in all of these travels he endured many persecutions and toils and struggles and travails. You would think the epistle today was written for him. And also for the other saint that we celebrate this day which is Saint Innocent Enlightener of Alaska who likewise endured many travails as he traveled to Alaska. The epistle today reads, part of it. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, hunger. We imagine all of that. And this is what each and every of the apostles endured in their own lives. In honor and dishonor in ill repute and good repute, in closing it says, and as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. So how did the Apostle Thomas do this? How did all of the Apostles, how did the Apostle to the Americas, St. Innocent, do all of these great works? Because if we think about it, he truly had nothing, like the Epistle said. Traveling, these thousands of miles to a city you've never been to every single night, finding a place to stay, finding food to eat, people to stay with every single night for hundreds of nights in these long journeys, these travels, having nothing and yet possessing everything. How did he do it? He did it by the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the strength for him. This was his strength. How many times do we read in the Acts of the Apostles, they broke bread together. They broke bread. This is that they had communion together. Truly, the Apostle Thomas was a partaker of the divine nature, as St. Peter says. Partaking of the divine. Because he partook of Christ, of the the God, the very God himself. And this is how St. Thomas accomplished this. In, the epistle- in one of the hymns from last night, it says this. You handled the master's side, all blessed apostle, and grasped the pinnacle of blessings. Think about that. The source, the pinnacle of all blessings is what he's touching. For like a sponge, you soaked up streams from there, the source of good things and eternal life. Imagine that. He's a sponge soaking up eternal life, soaking up the source of all good things, and bringing that with him. And you watered the hearts that were dried up through ignorance of God as you poured out the doctrines of the knowledge of God. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the source of his strength and the, source of the strength of all of our saints, because truly God is the pinnacle of blessings, He's the source of all good things, of eternal life. We know this. And it is through the greatest of miracles that we become partakers in the divine nature. We are partakers in the divine nature. Through the Eucharist. Earlier this week I had uh, the Catechism, the Basics of Orthodoxy, and we've been using Father Barnabas Powell's series. He's a very entertaining man. If you've, I think many of you saw him when he was here a few years ago. So Father Barnabas was talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. And he was saying how Christ says, I must go that the Holy Spirit will come and even greater and perform even greater works. Now you can imagine him in his accent. Father Barnabas goes, I don't know about you folks, but I can't imagine any greater works than what Jesus did. <laughs> Think about that. That's what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit would come and perform greater works than what he did. And what is this greater work that the Holy Spirit did? He took the one Christ who was born in time, who died and resurrected in time, and he multiplied Christ throughout the world, throughout time. Think of it. How many churches around the world, how many Orthodox churches right now are about to partake of the body and blood of Christ? How can Christ be everywhere? The very same Christ that the Apostle Thomas touched, the very same Christ, the same flesh, the same blood. This is the great work of the Holy Spirit, that Christ is multiplied throughout all the world so that all of us can become partakers in the divine nature. You see, the Eucharist is everything. The body and blood of Christ, of the risen Lord, is everything. St. Paul even said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, And we, of all men, are the most pitiable. We Christians are pitiable if Christ isn't risen from the dead, if we are not consuming the very body and blood of Christ. So why is the Eucharist so important to us? Because the simple question, who's eternal? Who's eternal? God. Is there anyone else who's eternal? No. Only God. The only way that we can be eternal is by consuming the eternal. By becoming partakers of divine nature, we then become those who can be eternal, only by the body and blood of Christ. In the communion prayers of preparation, the prayers that we should all be saying as we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what we receive in the Eucharist. I'll read some passages. This is from the first prayer of St. Basil. That I may be united to your holy body and precious blood and have you dwell and remain within me with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And in his second prayer, let these gifts give me healing and cleansing, enlightenment and protection, salvation and sanctification of soul and body. May they avert every fantasy, evil practice and operation of the devil enacted in my members by design. May they give me confidence in and love for you, amendment of life and perseverance, increase of virtue and perfection, fulfillment of your commandments, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, provisions for the journey to eternal life, and an acceptable answer at the awesome judgment seat. This is what we receive in the Eucharist. In St. John Chrysostom's fifth prayer, Count me worthy uncondemned to partake of your pure, immortal, and life-giving, and awesome mysteries for the remission of sins, for eternal life, for sanctification, for enlightenment, for strength and healing and health of both soul and body, for the erasing and complete removal of my evil thoughts and recollections, superstitions, and nocturnal fantasies brought by dark and evil spirits. Let them be for me a rampart, a help, an overturning of my adversaries, and a wiping out of my transgressions. And St. Simeon said it the best in his, the seventh prayer. He said, Behold, I partake of fire, and yet am not consumed, like the burning bush. Each of us become that burning bush that Moses saw. We are partaking of fire, and yet we're not consumed. I can't overstate what we receive in the Eucharist, but lest I belabor the point any more, let us hear from Christ himself in the Gospel of John. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed." He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. The Eucharist is everything. One of the holiest men that I've ever been in the personal presence of was an, an elder from the Monastery of St. Catherine on Mount Sinai. His name was uh, was Elder Pavlos. Elder Pavlos came to the seminary while I was a student there, and in the seminary, he visited us and he gave us some talks, and then he served the liturgy one morning, and I'll never forget it because liturgy, the communion, took so long. This is my weakness. There may be 50 people in the seminary chapel, maybe 100, and it took so long. Why? Because he knew what was really in the chalice. And in his great fear and awe, he was careful. He was careful. And just so carefully making sure that not the tiniest <coughs> drop, not the tiniest crumb should go anywhere. And all I can think of is, wow, communion is taking a long time. You've never had that experience, have you?
1: (laughs) It's
2: the body and blood of Christ that we're receiving, each and every liturgy. What this means, all of those things that I listed, all of the attributes that we receive, we receive those in as much as we're able to receive them. And here's where the going gets tough. Because we can also receive it to our condemnation. I didn't read that part of the prayers. that It keeps saying, not to my condemnation, not to my condemnation. Because we can receive it also to our condemnation. But it's not just either or. It's a big, long scale. And somewhere we can receive it to our condemnation, and to our sickness, and as St. Paul said, even to death. But for many of us, what could we receive? And yet we're only receiving this we're only receiving this because why? Because we don't come prepared. Because we don't pray. Because we don't live a life of preparation for the body and blood of Christ. And so God in his mercy he does give us something. But my goodness, what could we receive? What could we receive if we were prepared in the fullness, prepared like elder Pavlos, so that we could be floating, we could be walking on with wings as one of the communion prayers says. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we must prepare for the body and blood of Christ. We must prepare. Because this is the only thing that matters in our entire life. Our life goes like this. And then there's eternal life. And this is the thing that brings us there. This is the step that is necessary to bring us to eternal life because we can't make ourselves eternal. Only by partaking of the divine nature can we become eternal. So I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When we look at the calendar and we see that there's a liturgy, we should be going up to everyone around us. Guess what? There's another liturgy, and I can receive the body and blood of Christ. I can become a partaker in the divine nature. And I'm going to clear everything out so that I can be there and receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the zeal that we should have. And I speak for myself that it's to my own condemnation that I don't prepare sufficiently. I am weak, and so I don't receive to that greatness. But I desire that, and I desire that all of us have that same desire. So that this becomes the center of our being, of our essence, of everything that we do in our lives is receiving the body and blood of Christ. Amen.